0: Calvary Chapel, Mason City. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So I just want to welcome you if you're watching online. Thank you for being here. <clears throat> the book of 2 Peter. Peter identifies himself as the author of the book in the very first chapter in the first verse there, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice he made himself a willing slave. That's the word bondservant. And he is an apostle. Written about 66 AD, Christian persecution is at an all-time high in the Roman world. And so he writes to these Christians that are dealing with uh, the persecution of Nero and just the culture that they were in at that time. Uh, was gruesome when it came to being a Christian. You know, we've talked about it many times about just the violent persecution that had come against the Christians. So that's kind of the climate is you have the apostle Peter, an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He lived with him. He touched him. He hung out with him. He ate dinner with him. And then he's writing this letter to Christians that are dealing with persecution for their faith. I don't think we can even imagine what that would be like to be persecuted for our faith. But In his first letter, he encourages them to keep their eyes on heaven. And now in this second letter, he writes to warn and equip them. So if if somebody's asked you later today, what's 2 Peter about? You could say it's about warning and equipping. Warning about false prophets and false teachers that would come into the church and equipping them to stand against such threats. As we mentioned before, The persecution is a threat from the outside of the church, whereas false teachers are a threat from the inside of the church. And I would say that those are far worse. Persecution tends to make the church stronger. Corruption tends to divide churches and and destroy churches from the inside out. The kind of threat that they're experiencing is persecution, and he writes to warn and equip them. So far in this letter, we've dealt with two subjects. The first one was living a fruitful life. He encouraged them. He says, you want to stand against false teaching, false prophets. What you need to do is live a fruitful life. You need to grow in Christ, become a mature Christian. That's in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Verses 12 through 21, he says that you need to live by the inspired word of God. He says, you need to live by true prophecy, the true word of God that came through prophets, that came through holy men of God that were inspired by the Holy Spirit that wrote the scriptures. Last time he ended, uh, encouraging them to take heed to the word of God. As you see there, look at verse 21, please, of chapter one. He says, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit spirit, but sharp contrast, there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Father, again, we approach your word as the word of God, and so we ask make the word live to us, speak to us, and equip us in Jesus' name. Amen. The outline's very simple. Well, it's seven points, but don't get the wrong idea. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's, we're going to go through these really quickly. Today's kind of just like a list of like what false teachers are like, what Peter is saying these false teachers are like. He's exposing them. And so we're just going to go through these different things. Um, you know, if you want the list later, I'll give it to you. I could text it to you or email it to you. But that's just what it looks like. It's a roadmap. If you're trying to write all that down, you know, maybe you just want to wait till later. It's a lot. Number one, false teachers exposed. Here's the first thing about them. They are inevitable. Look at what he says, but there were also false prophets among the people. So unlike the true prophets that are moved by the Holy Spirit of God that wrote the scriptures, there are false prophets among the people. Notice he says there were, he's talking about back during the time when the scriptures were written, the old Testament times, there were false prophets among the people in those days. The devil has been sowing seeds of deception ever since the Garden of Eden. This is like his main tool is to sow seeds of deception. Now, I'm going to give you a, we're going to go through the Bible a bunch of different places here. So if you've got your Bible flipping finger ready, uh, why don't you flip back to Genesis chapter three, please? This is going to be quick, fast paced, um, but we're just going to look at a ton of scripture. This might even be, you might say, wow, this is a lot. But I figure snow day, you know what I mean? You want to just get filled up with the word of God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is incredibly important. You read it just last week. If you're in the reading program, you've been going through Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The enemy's been sowing deception for a long time. Look at it. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... Now, if you're a Bible highlighter, outliner, I would circle those words. This is how the devil works right here. He says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Uh, Yeah, that is what God said. (laughs) I mean, God said you shouldn't eat of the tree, which notice he's playing, he's playing games. You shall not eat of every tree. Well, uh, that's kind of what he said. Uh, He said you shouldn't eat the particular tree in the garden. He said, we actually, we could have all the trees. He's playing a game. He's making God say, oh, God said you shouldn't do anything. You know, being a Christian means you can't do anything. Really? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. By the way, he never said that. Lest you die. He just said, don't eat it. He didn't say don't touch it. See, when the devil plays games with you and insinuates that God is a tyrant, you come back and you start playing along. You say, he said we shouldn't even eat it or touch it. Uh, That's not what he said. He just said, don't eat it. But see how she's adding to it because he's insinuating and it's a game. The point that I want to show you is that the devil is sowing seeds of discord all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Has God really said? Now look what goes on there. God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, here it's just blatant, you will not surely die. Really? Really? Hey, God said that I shouldn't sin in this way uh, because there'll be consequences. There won't be any consequences. Oh, okay. That's the devil's game right there. Now, nothing is more damning than someone for someone to speak in the name of the Lord that is deliberately purporting false prophecies and false teachings. They are sons of the devil. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 13, please. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Oh my goodness. I think I brought way too many scriptures. Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13. You're like, I knew these Bible tabs were a good idea. Deuteronomy 13, this false prophecy is a problem in the church. I mean, it always has been amongst God's people, you know, before the church, Old Testament time, it's always been a problem all the way back to the garden. Even look at Deuteronomy here. Verse one, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass, which he spoke to you saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So you mean that the Lord allows false prophets to come and test people's love for the true and living God and for the true word of God. That's what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 18, please verses 20 through 22, but the prophet who, Deuteronomy 20, 18 through 22, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do you test these prophecies? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, you shouldn't listen to him. That verse right there put TBN out of business. <laughs> all of it. TBN's done for. Pat Robertson, all of them. The whole list of phony false prophets, Sid Roth, Peter Popov, all of them done out of business right there. Shouldn't listen to him because they've said things that did not come to pass. And they, the problem is they said, thus says the Lord, this will happen. And it didn't happen. So you mark those people and you don't ever listen to them again because they're false prophets. When somebody makes false prophecy, says, thus says the Lord doesn't come. I mean, Deuteronomy. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, please. Oh, you got to forgive me. I'm working on not being so hardcore in 2024. Sorry, Lord. Jeremiah chapter 23, please. Verse 16. Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. So in Jeremiah's time, they were prophesying peace, peace, when there is no peace, saying, oh, everybody's going to be prosperous, everybody's going to be successful. And actually, the true prophet came along, got thrown into prison because he says, that's not true. These prophets are lying to you. And he said, actually, you're going to be defeated. They threw him in prison. Remember? What was his name? Micaiah. So, dangerous times. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 3. You can flip there if you want. This is just one verse. I can read it. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Now, it's always been a problem. I'm laboring this point because it's worse today, I believe, than it's ever been. With social media, with the internet, with phones, with apps, with all of this stuff. I believe it's just worse, so much money in it. He says, even as there will be, back in Peter, false teachers among you, now, this is not an isolating, isolated warning in the New Testament. In other words, in 1 Peter here, where he's warning about this, this isn't the only place this warning shows up in the New Testament. In fact, Matthew 24, 24 says, this is Jesus talking. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders To deceive, if possible, even the elect. You have to stop and think about that for a second. Jesus says that what's coming are people that will do great signs and wonders. So, in other words, you can't judge the authenticity of a ministry by the supernatural activity. God does signs and wonders. It's true. He does miracles. He's a miracle-working God. He's a signs and wonders God. But that is not how you judge the authenticity of a ministry. Jesus' own words say that they are coming and they will do great signs and wonders. So that means I can't look. It's like when you go to buy a car. You know, I know that all of you put it through the rigorous test when you buy a used car. You go up and you, you know, kick the tire. There's got to be a better test than looking at signs and wonders. What is it? It's the word of God. That's the measuring stick. Is it genuine? Is it not? Interpreted in context. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. If you want to flip there. I understand this flipping is getting crazy. So I will. I'm, I'm just going to read them here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 13 through 15. Paul says, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. It's terrifying. What he's saying is when the enemy wants to deceive you, he can come into your life and he can disguise himself as something that looks very religious, spiritual, even looks like the light. How do you know if it is or not? You judge it by the word of God. This is really Interesting. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. In this section, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have received, let him be accursed. So what what Paul is saying in the context of Galatians is these false teachers had come in and said, faith in Christ isn't enough. You also have to do works. You also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow the laws of Moses. And so Paul says, look, if anybody comes into your church and teaches that salvation comes by anything but God's grace, let that person be accursed. Don't have anything to do with them. Certainly don't throw a picnic and celebrate ecumenism with them and say, oh, yeah, we can all link our arms. Aren't we all following the same Jesus? No, Paul says, let them be accursed. He says, don't have anything to do with people that pervert the way of salvation, you know, deliberately. Yeah. Second Thessalonians 2.3, don't bother flipping here. I'll just, I'll just read these unless you're really into it. Second, uh, Second Thessalonians 2, 3, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of part, uh, perdition. The false teaching that was going on there, where people were saying, ah, the day of the Lord, it's already happened. You know? And Paul's saying, no, 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 the day of the Lord is not going to come until there's going to be a great falling away. In other words, the church is going to go apostate. In the end times, there's going to be a huge movement of Christians that go apostate, although they look Christian on the outside. And then also uh, the man of sin will be revealed. So the Antichrist will be revealed. Paul says that the day of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord can't come until there's a falling away and the Antichrist has been revealed. So the, the point is, is the false prophets were already there in the book of Thessalonians back in you know, early church. They were already telling people false doctrines. Let me read one more to you. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. This one, I think, is extremely poignant. Not that all of them aren't, but this is just so fits our age of algorithms. This just fits the age of algorithms like nothing else. Look at this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Do you know who the they is in that section? Believers, the church. People that believe they're following Christ. Look what it says. Let me read it again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. Well, what will they do instead? According to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. This is exactly what happens when you go on YouTube, by the way. YouTube figures out your personality and starts giving you the things that you already believe in. And it starts feeding you, feeding you, and feeding you. People are doing this with Christianity today. I think it's kind of funny. It's like, I just go more or less heap up teachers that tell me what I want to hear. And the algorithm just feeds that. That's kind of a rabbit trail, I'm sorry. But I mean, it's just interesting in end times that this is what Paul said would be happening is people won't listen to people talking about sound doctrine. They won't. There's certain things in the Bible they just don't want to hear them anymore. Things to do with sin. Things to do with gender. People do not want to hear what the Bible has to say about gender anymore. They say that's antiquated. There's more than two genders. In fact, I think I heard there's 80 now. I heard there's 80 genders now. Uh, why, not, why not 100, you know? And so people with their itching ears, now their ears are itching. You know how it is when your ear itches? You ever been trying to sleep? And it flies mess around on your ear hair? You ever had that? You're like... Mm. Itching ears, that's bad, man. You got to itch that sucker, right? It's like, that's how bad I want to hear false teaching. Give it to me, you know? Tell me what I want to already hear, you know? That's that bad, itching ears, man. And so they heap up for themselves teachers. They accumulate teachers to themselves. They say, I'm going to make a whole YouTube playlist of people that tell me what I want to hear. Now, look at the next thing they do here. That was a big first point. They're not all this long. You know. Trust me. Okay, look at the next one. Okay, so that was Second Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4, by the way. Yep. Next point here is still in verse 1. They secretly bring in destructive teachings. Look at what it says there. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies? Now, this is the main threat right here in false teachings. They bring in false teachings that bring destruction. Notice how it says secretly. So people don't just run in and say, hello, uh, false teacher. You know, they don't just come in and put on the name tag. They don't announce it. They don't put that on their YouTube channel. They don't say, hey, look at me, false teacher. <laughs> And it says that these, these teachings, look at it, it's destructive. That's the word there. I just want to point that out and, and show you that how it says destructive there. I mean, Peter, author of the scripture, he's saying these are not things to mess around with. He's saying they're destructive. One Greek commentator defines that Greek word translated destructive as that which takes away eternal life. That's a gnarly interpretation. I'm not sure, you know, it, it, it just means complete annihilation. So Peter says that people come secretly and then they bring in teachings uh, that bring destruction upon the body of Christ. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody get captured into false teaching before uh, that it completely transforms their life. Health and wealth people, um, people that can no longer pray saying, if it's the Lord's will, you know, they say, well, that's not faith. And then they get into this bondage, they get into this weight. Now, he says they bring in destructive heresies. This word, uh, heresy, what is a heresy? Well, the word conveys the idea of making a choice. That's what the Greek definition means, to make a choice. Heresies means making a choice. So the idea is, is the false teachers, they bring in alternative doctrines and make a choice for people to turn away from sound doctrine. They give them now a choice to believe something else. Now, these people typically use Christian words, uh, but they define the words differently. Warren Wiersbe puts it well. He says like this, he says, the false teachers use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. Let me give you some examples. Today's sin is not defined as the Bible defines it. What sin is in the Bible, it is missing the mark of perfection. It is an offense, a, a breaking of, law, of of God's law, and it is an offense to a holy God that separates mankind from God, that must be atoned for, that if you're not forgiven of your sin through the blood of Christ, you will spend eternity away from God in hell. That's what sin is. It's an offense against a holy God. It's law-breaking against the God of the universe that made all these laws. That's what sin is. But the way it's being redefined today is that sin is just something that's getting in the way of you becoming all you can be, you know? It's just a hindrance. Because really, man, I mean, you were made to just do great things in this life, and sin's just really getting in the way of it. So you just got to kind of get that stuff out of the way. It's a different redefinition. It's something that's getting in the way of your goals, man. Yeah, That's not what sin is. Sin is a terrible affront to a holy God, breaking a holy God of the universe's laws, which is punishable by death. Now, here's another one, prayer. Prayer today isn't simply talking to God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No, today it's declaring and decreeing. It's making statements of positive faith, thereby causing God to act in alignment with my positive faith confessions. That's not prayer. That's a redefinition of prayer. God, God, the judge, the creator of the universe. Rather today, he's a cosmic helper that's essentially waiting on call just to be my therapist when I need him to achieve my goals, especially popular in youth ministry. Jesus Christ, some say today that he's the brother of Satan. Some say he's a great moral teacher, merely human, that he performs some great miracles like anybody else. They've redefined him. Jesus is my homeboy. He's my best friend. Well, he is your friend, but he's also God in the flesh. Uh, the Bible, many places declare, declare his deity. Uh, he is Lord. He's to be worshiped. So heresies, the false teachers come in and they present an alternate version. It looks like Christianity on the outset, but when you really examine what they mean, it's kind of sad that we live in that sort of world today. But when people talk about these things, you have to say, what do you mean? You know, Define that. Define these terms that you're talking about. Christianity is objective truth, not subjective. So I brought a picture to kind of help us illustrate this point. What do you see there? Kind of looks like uh, an elephant, yeah. Somebody say that? Kind of looks like Richard Nixon. Ford F-150. You know how I used to do that when you were a kid? That's because you can approach this subjectively. This is what the word subjective means. It means you see something there. I might not see it, but you do. Now, this is how people approach the word of God today. You'll go into a Bible study and you'll say, let's read a passage together. And people will begin going around the room saying, I think this means this. I see this. I see this in it. It's not meant to be read like that. The Bible is not meant to be read subjectively. It's meant to be read objectively. In other words, the people that wrote the Bible, they had a point in mind when they wrote it. Every verse, the author had an intention of something he was trying to convey, and it was not subjective. Right? I want to really encourage you, Calvary Chapel... When someone says, I feel that this passage means this or that, that just that should trigger a red flag, I feel or I think. And maybe we could be the type of people that respectfully say, respectfully, I'm not really interested in what you think or feel about the passage. I am more interested in what the passage actually says. Now, maybe we could dig into our Bible with some good hermeneutics and we could figure that out. Or we could sit here and just pontificate. Let's do that. You'd probably be a lot nicer than I was just right there. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, God. I hate this. I I hate this with hatred that people have twisted the way of life. Look at the next thing they do. First one. They deny the truth of Jesus. It says, even denying the Lord who bought them, and they bring on themselves swift destruction. He says that these teachers openly deny the truth of the word of God. You know, with many cults, all you got to do to figure out they're a cult is just ask them about their Christology. That's just the doctrine of Christ, Christology. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Jehovah's Witness, here are some of the beliefs they have about Jesus. Jesus is considered to be a created being. Let me ask you, is Jesus a created being? Why not? He's God, so he's eternal. He couldn't be created because he's eternal. He is seen in Jehovah's Witness as the archangel Michael, the brother of Satan. Um, he, uh, they reject Jehovah's Witness, reject traditional Christian doctrine of the Trinity. They deny the divinity of Jesus and believe that he was the only perfect human being. So they'll give you that. They'll say he was a perfect human, but he was not God. He was created by God. <clears throat> Jesus' crucifixion is viewed as a means of atonement of sin, but not through the concept of substitutionary atonement. In other words, Christ didn't die on the cross to pay for sins. Um, his resurrection is understood to be spiritual, but not physical. In other words, there was no real empty tomb. There was none of that Easter stuff that didn't really happen. Uh, they emphasized Jesus as a mediator uh, for a specific group called the anointed class, um, which they are. And nobody else is. Mormons, they see Jesus as a separate being from God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's not part of the Trinity, he's a separate being. They reject traditional Christian doctrine of the Trinity, obviously. They believe in the pre existence where Jesus and all humans existed as spirits before earth. Uh, they believe in the bodily resurrection of all individuals. They acknowledge the, acknowledge the existence of divine beings, including uh, the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit, uh, but they have a different Jesus. He's a created being. He's different than what the Word says. He's this is an alternate version of what the Bible says. You would never know that unless you read Joseph Smith's book, the Book of Mormon. You wouldn't know what they mean. So Joseph Smith came along. He said that he you know, found some sp- specific goggles that he called the Urim and Thurim, and he found these special goggles that helped him to interpret you know, texts of the Bible that only he found, and then he came up with the Book of Mormon. And so when you start to drill into these things, you know, one of my pet peeves is people say, all religions just lead to the same place. It's like, I can tell for sure that you don't know anything about religion if you say that. Tell certainly, you know. There are similarities in some certain things, but they're all not saying the same thing. Uh, A Mormon, by definition, is not a Christian. A Jehovah's Witness, by definition, is not a Christian, okay? Now, in this passage, they deny the Lord who bought them, and they bring on themselves swift destruction. There's a couple of different ways scholars look at this. When they, they say, what exactly did they deny about Jesus? Well, clearly they deny the Lord. So the main interpretation of this is they deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ over people. Okay? Okay. The word typically translated, follow me here. The word typically translated Lord in the New Testament is the word kurios. It just means like boss. It means the one in control. The word translated Lord here is only used 10 times in the New Testament. So it's unusual. And it means, it's it's despotis. And what it means is the absolute sovereign authority over all things all the time. That's what it means. And so scholars believe that what he's saying is, These false teachers were denying that Jesus had absolute authority over them. So this would very much be like people that are Christian in name only, but actually don't submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at the next thing in verse 2. They are popular. It says, and many will follow their destructive ways. Peter says, many will follow their example. Um, What is that example? That example of saying Jesus is Lord, but not doing what he says. Many people will follow that. Notice what it says there. Many will follow their destructive ways. Notice the word ways. What Peter's getting at is many people will hear these false teachers, and they will then copy their lifestyle. Well, they, they say that they're Christians, but yet they're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. So essentially, I can claim the name of Christ and not do what he says. It's a destructive teaching. This sort of doctrine, claiming the name of Christian with no obligation to submit to his lordship, it's incredibly popular. But you could, think, you could understand why this would be such a popular teaching, right? To be able to say that you're a Christian but then not have any sense of obligation to follow Jesus and to give your life to him. Can you see why that would be so popular? I like a quote that I heard from Alistair Begg a long time ago. It goes like this. He says, there's no better way to, should I do his accent? There's no better, no. No. There's no better way, no, I'm not gonna do it. There's no better way to draw a crowd, listen, than to offer a spiritual experience That requires nothing from the attendee. (laughs) Isn't that true? Look at Woodstock, man. Look at Burning Man. Oh, I had a transcendental, transcendental spiritual experience. You did? Jesus says, come to me and die to yourself and follow me like a servant until I call you home. No better way to draw a crowd than to offer spirituality that requires nothing from the attendee. I think I'm promised heaven, but you know I can live like hell. Religions and other versions of Christianity that promise heaven but essentially teach do what thou wilt are becoming more and more popular all the time. What is so sad is like Peter says here, many will follow them. I remember a few years back that I was listening to some Christians talk, and uh, cl- people that were close to me, and they left the church because, you know, the, you know, it's one thing to leave a church; the Lord leads you somewhere else. That's great, man, go where the Lord's leading you to go. But these guys left the church because, you know, uh, a new thing came along that was better, and and it wasn't dead, you know, and uh, they were talking about. Um, How different their lives have become. And these people, um, you know, every time you would show up at a gathering with them, you know, they used to just be on fire for the Lord, you know. And uh, every time now you'd show up at a gathering with them, they would never be without a six pack and, uh, you know, drinking beers and and other stuff. And all that. It's like, I'm so glad that I found out what God's grace is. That's not what God's grace is, man. God's grace is not a license for us to live unholy lives. We're like those in Romans 6. Should we just sin all the more because God's grace abound? Far be it. No, by no means. Understanding the grace of God promotes holiness in a life. The grace of God is God's forgiveness given to you, for, you know, for your sin so you don't die and perish in hell for eternity. And then also the power of the Holy Spirit to come and live in your life, to, to live uh, not under the bondage of sin anymore and to live in a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what God's grace is. And some people just get the wrong idea. My heart was broken to hear that stuff. You know, their zeal for ministry, their zeal for evangelism, they bought into the whole like, oh, you know, I kind of keep my faith to myself now. And it's like, it's a very popular thing to offer a spiritual experience that requires nothing from the attendee. Many people have turned to ministries that don't like to make them feel uncomfortable in their backslidden state. Look at the next thing that these people do in verse two. They cause people to blaspheme the truth. He says, because of whom the way of truth is blasphemed. Now, before I was a Christian, I used to blaspheme the way of truth and it was because I had known, (laughs) God, please. I'd known so many hypocrite Christians so many people that were pretending to be one thing and saying that they were you know, one thing and doing something else. And I would look at them and be like, you know, you're not like this Jesus that you say you follow. And so the way of truth is blasphemed when people peddle this version of Christianity that promises spirituality but demands nothing of the attendee. People blaspheme. They say, I don't want to be a Christian if that's what they're like. It's a sad thing. It's a really sad thing. They should be looking at us and saying, man, I want to follow Jesus. That's the, look at this. Look at this guy's life. Look at this gal's life. She's got peace like a river, you know? She lives a life of service unto others. She's poured out. Like, that's what you want people to see, you know? But when they get this false teaching in them, they, they go live this lifestyle, this sensual sort of lifestyle people, blaspheme them. I feel for young people today because young people, they they see this stuff, man. They see people that don't walk the walk. They see it and it keeps them from Christ. They blaspheme the truth. These false teachers facilitate this. Look at the next thing. Verse three, please. They are greedy and they see you as merchandise. Look at this one. By covetous, covetousness. Is that your favorite word in the morning? Covetousness. Covetous—it's hard. It's a tongue twister, isn't it? By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Now Peter gets into their motive and their strategy. So first of all, covetousness, you could say it by, uh, you could just say greed, their, their greedy desire, their covetousness. So they themselves are greedy and covetous, okay? And their motive is they use covetousness, greedy desire, the promise of pleasure, the promise of achieving one's dreams... To appeal to people's selfish, self-seeking nature. This is what their ministry is geared around. It's geared around stuff. It's geared around you getting or you accomplishing or you being all you can be or you being a champion and you being a victor. And that's what their whole ministry is about. And it's appealing because everybody loves that kind of talk. The self-help book industry is like multi, multi, multi millions of dollars because people are very interested in helping themselves to become all they can be. Christianity is so different than self-help, isn't it? Because Christianity says, die to self and live for Christ. That's what Christianity teaches. It's not self-help, it's self-death. It's give up my life and live for Christ. Jesus Christ says, if anybody wants to, um, live for themselves essentially he says that he who seeks to you know uh, find himself you know, will lose himself you live for yourself you're going to lose your life it's, a, it's kind of a paradox isn't it the more that I approach life living for selfish things the more the things that I acquire the less that they seem to like satisfy me it's kind of a paradox isn't it it's like the paradox of living when I live for me I just keep getting more miserable <laughs> Or else what I need to do is find the next self-help book where they just keep rehashing the same old junk from Dale Carnegie and Nightingale and friggin', uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Napoleon Hill and all these people. They just keep recycling the same old word of faith, law of attraction, you can do it stuff. And you say, oh, I knew. I, I just got to keep growing in this. <sighs> okay, let's wrap this up. Ever heard about the monkey that is out in the woods? He's out in the jungle, and he gets caught, and he falls into the trap that the tribe set. And the tribe, the way they set these traps is they take logs, and they they put a hole in it the size of a monkey fist, and they split that log in half, and then they put a big old piece of fruit inside that log, and they stick that log back together. And that monkey comes along, And he sees that fruit in there, and he puts his hand in there, and he goes like this, and he grabs a hold of it. And then they just simply walk right up and got him. All because that stupid monkey can't let go. And if that monkey would just let go of trying to live his own life, trying to get what he thinks he needs and wants, he'd find life. Jesus says, if you live for yourself, you're going to lose yourself. But if you live for his sake, you're going to find life and by covetousness these people they come and they peak that self that selfish desire and they start teaching religion as a way to gain rather than a way to die rather than a way to give your life to Christ it becomes all about you good strategy that's why Joel Osteen has the biggest church in the country that's why Lakewood is like the biggest church in the country because he says, I don't ever talk about sin. I don't talk about any of these things. People, he says in an interview, people already know that they're condemned, so I don't need to do that. I like to build people up and lift them up. Yeah, and you've offered a spiritual experience that requires nothing but well, their money, they give you money. That's why he's the richest dude because he keeps this carrot in front of you that if you keep giving him money, that God's going to give you all the things, all the dreams in your heart. Listen, when you go to a church and the message is about you achieving your dreams, you're in a place where there's false teaching being taught. The gospel these people preach is appealing to stuff that people don't want. Okay. This is how false teaching works. Sounds Christian, but appeals to the desires. Now look where it says that they exploit you. It's interesting. The New King, J- or the King James has it translated differently. It's the same meaning. It says they make merchandise out of you. <laughs> because they're greedy and because their audiences are greedy, they end up making merchandise out of them. They turn the people into just money. That's, that's what they're trying to do with people is just turn them into money. So he concludes this paragraph now with a reminder of their destiny. Look at it in verse 3. It says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. They will be dealt with. God is going to deal with them. They think they're getting away with things now, but God will deal with them. Uh, there are a lot of people that continue to live in lifestyles where they think that God must be okay with them because he's not like striking them with lightning. But you're, nobody gets away with anything with God. Nobody. Just because he's not dealing with you today about your sin, it doesn't mean that he's not going to. Right? If today you hear his voice in your conscience, it's, it's time to repent, right? You know, it's time to get right with God. You know, but he reminds them of their judgment. This would be very encouraging you know, because why would Peter's readers be so susceptible to false teaching? They're dealing with persecution. Man, when you're dealing with hard times and you start to hear this word of prosperity and abundance and, you know, and all this other stuff, that's appealing to you. You know, or when you're desperate and you're sick and you're dealing with some illness and all the doctors tell you, I don't know what to do. And you go home and you turn on TV and some joker like Kenneth Copeland's on there saying that you can, you know, send him money and you'll get better just by, or Peter Popov, you can buy his miracle spring water and sprinkle it on your head. And, oh, I hate this stuff. God, I hate it. Some things about false teachers. They're inevitable. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. They deny the truth of Jesus. They are popular. They cause people to blaspheme the truth. They are greedy and they see you as merchandise. They are going to be dealt with. Now, I want to leave us with this one thought today, okay? False teachers have much much success because they turn Christianity into something that speaks to the selfish nature of humans, okay? If you think I'm trying to say this in the nicest, coolest way possible to everybody in, the, in a loving way. If you think that Christianity is about you primarily, it's not about you. It's just not about you. If the way that you're being taught the Bible is that you are the hero of the story, if David and Goliath is primarily about you being David, you're in a place where there's false teaching. That's false teaching, man. The hero of the story in David Goliath is God. I mean, God is the hero of the story from start to finish the whole old testament every single thing it all points to jesus in genesis he's the seed that will conquer the devil in exodus he's symbolized by the passover in leviticus he's the ultimate high priest in numbers he's the faithful and true leader guiding the people deuteronomy he's the prophet like moses joshua he's the conqueror leading people in to the promised land judges he's the true and righteous judge better judge that will come in ruth he's the kinsman redeemer first samuel he's the anointed king second samuel he's the eternal king from the line of david first kings He's the true and the perfect. I mean, it just keeps going all the way through the whole Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. So I want you as people to listen discerning with, to teaching. If you're coming away from it, getting this feeling that you can accomplish all your goals in life and stuff, and, and it's like boosting up your self-esteem, you should have red flags coming on. You really should. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that's going to say, don't listen to this or don't listen to that or don't listen to this, but you just have to be able to discern if the whole message is about you and about how, oh, sin really robs something from you out of your life. You're made for more. You're going to be this great thing. That's not Christian teaching. That's self-help disguised as Christianity. And we need to be discerning about that. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And in that, you will find life. Father, thank you for your word here today, and Lord, bless it to our hearts. And God, forgive me for just my attitude towards stuff. And so, Lord, bless your dear ones here today, Lord. And please make us discerning in these end times. In Jesus' name, amen.